Welcome. You are tuned into Mango Masala, Pi Radio's South Asian show. My name's Gerns and welcome back to another episode. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're enjoying the sunshine. I hope you're just making the most of the weekend because God knows we all need it. Now, today for the first half of the show, we have got two interviews not just one but two and they both happen to be from some canadian talent so the first interview that we've got is with blitzkrieg he's been in the game for a while now he's worked with a number of names that i'm sure you'll recognize such as roach killer um rishi rich all them lot so i'm sure you will have heard his music before he's brought out his new project demo tapes and we're going to be playing some of his music and chatting to him about that new um, tape and his lead single 600cc. And then after that, we're going to be chatting to Jorn Sin, who is a Tamil Canadian producer. And he's also brought out a new project recently called the Scarborough, actually. So there's a place in Canada, apparently, called Scarborough, but they call it Scarborough. So that's what I'm going to be calling it from now on. Um, He's brought out his um, tape, the Scarborough Beat Tape, and you should definitely go and check that out. But we're actually going to give a play to the whole thing today. What we're going to do is later on, we're going to play the first half of it, a little bit of interview, second half of it. You get the idea. So yeah, without any further ado, we're going to move on to the Blitzkrieg interview now. And yeah, enjoy. How has it been? Obviously, 600cc has received a lot of positive attention from around the globe, I'd say. So how has it been, like, basically taking in all that positive feedback? It's amazing, man, just to know that, like, I've been doing music since 2000. So it's 2021. So the fact that 21 years, I'm still making music and still traveling around the globe, you know, before... I, like as you and me were talking off air before is I had to live in England to get my music out there you know so initially when I was a kid I was in high school I had to literally pack up my rock sack move to England and move around different cities in England to make an impact now with the power of technology it's amazing to be sitting in Toronto Canada make a song and then send it out and then it get playlisted played everywhere around the world including England like I feel England is like my second home because I've spent so much time there so I love the fact that you know it's getting love and attention out there sweet yeah can you explain it as well because I'm not entirely sure 600 cc is that to do with like motorbikes because I have no idea (laughs) yeah 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 so basically 600 cc is the describes the engine size of of a racing motorcycle so the story behind the entire track is is that I'm an avid motorcycle rider. I've been riding for 10 years. And funny enough, it's weird the way God and, and the world works. Um, in November, after riding for 10 years, never having an issue in November, I was in a nearly fatal motorcycle accident. And I was hospitalized for three months. Um, they had to perform emergency surgery on me. I was in, I was in an accident on the, on the motorway in central Toronto. Um, and they had to shut down the airway, bring ambulances to me. I was rushed to the hospital. They performed emergency surgery where they had to install like metal screws and plates in my leg. And I was in a long-term care facility for all of the winter from November to February. So what happened is I, I had to learn how to walk again. Till this day, I'm still learning how to walk properly again. Um, and 
you know, when I was sitting down and I was going to release this album, I thought to myself, number one, I got motivated to, to release the album because I thought to myself, you know what, it really makes me realize how short time is. And, and I had all this music sitting on my hard drive, so I wanted to release it, but I wanted to set it off with 600cc as a way of uh, paying homage to my recovery, you know, as a celebration of, and just reminding myself that, you know, it's not about how many times you fall down, it's about how many times you get back up and the fact that the motorcycle doesn't own me, I own the motorcycle, you know, so you, you fall down, you get back up and you keep riding. For sure. Yeah. So on that note, are you keen to get back on it or is that you done with motorcycles now? No, it's a, it's a way of life, bro. Just like music, it doesn't matter what happens. Like obviously, I would probably ride a different like I didn't do anything to get in the accident it was somebody else's fault but you know I would probably take more precautions next time but um I, I'm not ready to stop riding it's a way of life it's an extension of who I am sure yeah. so how was it collaborating how was it collaborating with obviously Roach Killer and E equals MC as well so it's interesting because all three of us are Canadians that moved to the UK and we you know, when I was telling you I lived all over the UK, Roach Killer was my roommate. So really? Roach is, yeah, Roach is my best friend. So, you know, like we we share everything together. So, it, you know, when I was living in all these different destinations, when I had a flat on Baker Street in central London, Roach, I was living with Roach, you know, me and him. We literally went from being Canadians, not knowing anyone in the UK, literally land. We had the immigrant experience where we landed in the UK with a couple hundred quid in a suitcase and we made careers for ourselves out there. And, um, you know, so collaborating with him is it's always natural. Like we have so many songs sitting on the hard drive. I could literally release two albums worth of Blitzkrieg and, and Roach Killer collaborations. And Bobby E equals MC. That's who I was living with in Leicester. He used to live in Leicester. So all of us are from here and all of us made Asian music. But at the time, back then in the mid 2000s, the UK was the quote unquote mecca of Asian music. So to make it and to be known, you had to come out to the UK and make a name for yourself. So we literally all at different times packed our bags, came out there. And Bobby was the first, sorry, I call him Bobby because that's his real name. E equals MC was the first one that came out to the UK and then we would come stay with him in Leicester. It is really interesting that you say that because I'd say now um, it's that there's like I think still the British Asian scene is still a thing but obviously you've got you have got the Canadian scene you've got the US scene you've got the back home scene literally India Pakistan Bangladesh all that so it is cool to see that Canada especially has its own scene like I've spoken to quite a few people and they've said like yeah it's actually really like popping off in Canada at the moment I would say that Canada is probably, other than India, Canada is at the forefront of urban Asian music. You know, like A.P. Dillon, all those guys are from here, Big Bird's from here. Uh, Sidhu Muswala literally was here as an exchange student, foreign student, and he met Big Bird and Sunny Malton here. Superwoman's from here, Jess Rain's from here, Humble the Poet's from here. All of us even though we may not all be friends that see each other all the time, we're all people that know of each other and we all have come up around the same ends, you know? So Canada, Canada's always had the talent, but the way I explain it is, um, the best way to think about it is kind of like how New York dominated hip hop in the early 80s and the 90s. And eventually 
the West Coast with Dr. Dre and them had their shine. And then now, obviously, for the past 15, 20 years, Atlanta has really taken over the hip hop scene. And that's the same thing with, you know, urban Asian music. It, it was birthed in the UK. That is the home of British urban Asian music. But obviously, it was only a matter of time where the rest of the world is inspired by it and does their own takes on it. And it just happens to be Toronto's time right now. Sure. That is one thing I wanted to ask as well, because obviously Toronto has its own, outside of the Asian scene, it has its own Toronto sound. You have like Drake, The Weeknd, yeah. etc. So I wanted to ask, do you think there's any similarities between the Toronto um, typical urban sound and the Toronto urban Asian sound? Um, I mean, now they're starting to be like, you have to remember like, for me and Roach and E equals MC, um, there was no Drake when we first came out to the UK. We started coming to the UK in 2004. So Drake didn't get famous until I think 2010, forgive me if I'm wrong, but somewhere around there, yeah. So there was, there was nobody super famous. Like we had local celebrities, but we had no one that was on like a Drake weekend, Justin Bieber type of platform back then. Um, so now when I see the younger kids coming up, the ones that have been directly influenced by Drake or The Weeknd, I'm noticing that their sound when they make, like AP Dylan in them is a perfect example, you know, because their sound is very uh, trappy, very gloomy, um, you know, like weekendy almost. So infused with Asian music. So you can see that direct, you know, influence with the younger, with the younger people. For sure. Yeah, I do, I do certainly think from you, um, I, I have had a quick listen through to the Demo Tapes album, and yeah. I think listening to that, getting your sound, I would say is very much um, old school hip-hop meets yeah. basically Bollywood slash um, other South Asian samples. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that, that old hip-hop sound is definitely very um, clear, like, I, I, I don't know if it, um, forgive me if this isn't your favorite rapper or anything, but honestly, when I was listening to you, I got very much like Eminem vibes in terms of like the way that your flow is. And that's the flow is, yeah. you know, what's really, what's really interesting about this project is, is the reason why it's called Demo Tapes is these are all songs that I recorded between 2003 to 2011. There's nothing newer than 2011 on this entire project. That's why I called it demo tapes, because these are essentially my demos that helped me get signed to come over to the UK and start releasing albums. So, and the reason why I decided to put this out is it's it's just a appetizer. It's a pre-teaser to have three more albums coming after this that are brand new music that I've recorded recently. And those are a lot more reflective of a trappy type sound, a lot more, um, where you'll be able to see something kind of like, okay, I see that Toronto sound in there and stuff like that. But we had, you know, it's me and Roach were laughing in the fact that 600cc, we literally recorded it in E equals MC's basement in, in, in Toronto in 2010. This is the original file. I haven't remixed it. I haven't touched it up. I haven't mastered it. I haven't mixed it. I literally just took it, put it on Spotify and decided to promote it. And it's it's been playlisted by Spotify India, multiple BBC stations, you guys are playing it. It's, so it just shows that with artists that have integrity and credibility, put out music, it doesn't really matter how old it is, it'll, it'll always work. Music stands the test of time. 
yeah definitely it's it's timeless like yeah. and it's mad like honestly i wouldn't have thought that that track was made in 2010 maybe if you'd said like 2017 or something like that i'd be like yeah fair but that long ago yeah 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 exactly yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you, man. And that's and that's kind of what it was, was this accident really changed my output on things a lot, where as artists, we tend to hold on to stuff. We'll record a lot of stuff, but we may not release it. We'll always just keep it on our hard drive and stuff. And, you know, after you get into a life-altering experience, you realize to yourself, what's the point of having this? I have songs with Roach Killer. I have songs with Johnny D, Deep John Do. I have songs with H. Dami, Rishi Rich, all just sitting on my hard drive. Why? Might as well let the world hear them. I mean, so that's what demo tape says. Definitely. I mean, I was going to ask actually, obviously, I know that, well, when I looked into demo tapes, it was described as a collection of old and new, but from yeah. what you've just said, it's a collection of old and even older. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I was going to ask, besides the fact that they're unreleased tapes that you wanted to share with everyone, is there anything else that sort of like brings them together, like, or any reason why you put them in the track list order or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, a lot of them. So I have way more songs than this that are unreleased, obviously. But the, the reason why I picked these ones are um, anyone that's kind of followed my career. These happen to be the songs that anytime I'm around and someone that's a diehard Blitz fan or that's been kind of following my career from the mid 2000s or whatnot. These are the songs that I get asked about all the time, like, hey, you know, where's Hit Hit Pass? Like A song, for example, like Hit Hit Pass, which is on demo tapes was a huge underground success in Toronto. Like that made us celebrities in Toronto when I was in high school. And that's, if you talk to anyone that knows us from the foundations, they'll always say, yeah, man, Hit Hit Pass or Exclusive. Exclusive was the first song that Universal Music and Def Jam Music UK contacted me while I was a kid in Toronto and licensed off me. So these are all songs that were previously unavailable digitally and people kept asking me for them. And I thought to myself, you know what? Okay, I'll put them, I'll, I might as well just package them together in terms of request, in terms of what are the top 10 songs that people always ask me for? And, and I kind of put them together. But mind you, not all of them people have heard before. Like 600cc is brand new to the entire world. Hometown Love is brand new to the entire world. So there's a good three, four songs. I would say about half of the project is like no one's ever heard it. And then the other half is songs that like Put Your Hands Up was on the Mentor Collective. It was the first song on the Mentor Collective mixtape, which allowed them to, not because of me, but their mixtape allowed them to get a deal with 2.9 and then blow up, you know, with Rishi Rich and Jishan and Ashu. Thinking again about the um, UK scene, I wanted to ask, is there anyone in the UK scene at the moment who you've got your eye on in particular? Not necessarily Asian either, just anyone that you're a fan of. Um, I really like... Um, so there was, I just recently found out that he's actually from an older group called Foreign Beggars. But there's a rapper called Bovin, Pav, and he, like, I don't know if you've seen him. He, like, paints his entire face blue and, like, he has this persona. But, bro, he can rap, man. And then I really like, um, there's a kid from, uh, there's an Asian kid from Birmingham called Sparkerman. Yeah, I, yeah, I like Sparkerman can rap, man, and I, and I like uh, the other kid too, JJ Esco. Mm. JJ Esco can rap as well. So, you know, when you when you see talent, you, you, I always recognize it. So specifically from the UK, it's those three, um, 
and and obviously Roach Killer lives in the UK still, so I'm always watching him. But you know, he's he's a superstar already in terms of North America or worldwide. Um, yeah, I don't think anybody out there doesn't like AP Dylan. Like AP Dylan and those guys, they're making ground. They're changing the sound of South Asian music. You know, like which are so traditionally, if you notice, like the evolution of it, it went from being uh, folk music to remixes to the Karen Ajla and the Siddha Muswalas where what they were doing is they were taking traditional folk cadences and putting them on top of hip hop and trap beats. But now what AP Dylan and them have done is they're using Urdu, Punjabi, Hindi, but they're use the cadence that they're singing it in is in a trap cadence on trap beat. So if you weren't, even if you didn't know the language, it would sound like a trap song if you're listening to like AP Dylan song. And that's why it's so popular. Because yeah. yeah, it's um, what's called. It's accessible not just for those from the South Asian community. It's probably why it's done so well, like TikTok and that, because it is so catchy. Like it's so catchy. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah. Sure. So probably coming to the end of the interview now, but just thinking about the future. So you've already said that three albums ready to go. Like that. That's impressive. Yeah, I got three more albums ready to go. Videos are already shot. So basically, anybody who doesn't follow me, follow me on Instagram, at Blitzmusic1, that's the number one. I literally release a brand new freestyle video or music video every Sunday at 11 a.m. Toronto time, 4 p.m. UK time. And I've been doing that since I got out of the hospital in February and I plan to continue doing it. I mean, on my phone right now, I have enough material to carry me all the way until September. So I can guarantee you for the rest of the summer, every Sunday, I'm going to drop a different video. And um, and yeah, I got three more projects. Um, and man, you will totally different. Sound. Each one of them is sounding completely different, very different from demo tapes. And uh, man, this is just the appetizer, bro. I'm just getting warmed up this year. Sweet, yeah. Well, thanks a lot for taking the time to speak to me. And if you ever are back in Manchester, just like literally hit us up and it would be great to like meet you in person and maybe yeah, get in the man. studio as well. Yeah, no, I'll definitely be there. You know, a good mate of mine. We we stayed with Surrender Ruckton so many times. I've performed in Manchester so many times. I've gone to what is it, the Printworks? Is it called the Printworks? Yeah, yeah. like yeah. This, to see that, like the cinema and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, God, man. So I will definitely next time I'm there, brother. I will definitely we will meet in the flesh. You and me are connected now, so I'll definitely um, stay in touch with you. I'll be sending you new music as it comes out as well. Yeah, definitely, and, please do. Yes, massive shout out to Blitzkrieg. If you didn't catch that, his Instagram is at Blitzmusic1. So definitely make sure to go give him a follow to keep up with all his latest endeavours. For the next half hour approximately, we're now going to be talking to Yon Sin, who is a Tamil Canadian producer and he has recently brought out the Scarborough Beat Tape. He's just saying Scarborough every time just throws me off. If you missed it before, basically, there's a place in Canada which is spelt Scarborough, but they call it Scarborough, as I learned. (laughs) You obviously started off a bit more maybe traditional Tamil-style percussion and now have gone into what is arguably more Western production styles. Uh, Yeah, I mean, so I started playing a South Indian drum called Mridangam at the age of six. So that's something I was naturally drawn to after watching someone play. 
And from there, I developed a really big passion for that drum. And, you know, the whole goal was I want to be the best rhythm player in the world. So I actually traveled to India when I was 13 by myself and stayed with my teacher at the time as house and literally had camp style training, like practicing eight hours a day for like three months straight. Um, and that was the whole goal, my first goal. Like, I thought I was just going to be living in India, really conquering the scene out there. But obviously I had to come back to Canada, finish high school and stuff. And then going in high school, that's when I really started. Um, a lot of my friends would listen to a lot of Drake, a lot of Missy, a lot of a lot of hip hop and rap. Um, and the crazy thing is, back then I wouldn't want to listen to any other genre except Carnatic. Like it was all South Indian classic. That's how, that's if you came into my car, that's all you would see. Um, but then I started developing a new passion for hip hop music, and I'm like, man, these the rhythmic drums and textures are really similar to what I've learned with Mridangam. Then when I started studying producers like Timbaland, he was like the first producer who really sampled like North Indian drums and North Indian samples. And he made hits from them. Like certain songs with Missy Ellie, Get Your Freak On, there's like a tabla role, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's like the iconic role that's in, that's what like a part of that makes a song. So when I started like really st- start going into depth, those type of productions, I'm like, how come I've never heard a Mirzanjan hip hop record? How come I've never heard a, Genj- a Kenjira, a Gadam, like all these intimate sounds that I grew up loving? I'm like, hmm, let me try introducing them into hip hop. And that's when the idea came. And from then on, I started producing on my own. And I've always sang, uh, naturally being a Mirzanjan player, I went to Carnatic vocal lessons as well. So I had that background in South Indian classical singing. And then I started releasing my own music as an artist, but now you know I pivoted more into uh, really pushing the brand as a producer because I really feel like for me I want to make an imprint the same way Timberland, Pharrell, Dr. Dre, those guys did in my own. For sure, yeah. So obviously, um, on the percussion side of things, that is beat making essentially, whereas. On the producing side of things, you obviously take the beat into consideration, but you've also got the instrumental loops, etc. So, listening to your work, I wanted to know um, from your from the compositional side of things. When you're making music, do you get the beat first and then add the um, instrumental, like the melodies, or do you get the melody and then you think, oh, okay, this beat would work with that? So it just depends on the day, the vibe. I'm working with artists. It depends on what their vision is too. But typically speaking, I um, I, I love starting off with a sample because I feel like it's it's like the start of an adventure. You know, you take a pre-existing song and you strip it and you try to rearrange it and create something new out of it, right? Give it new yeah. light, new perspective. So that's why if you look at a lot of my TikTok and like IG real videos, you'll see me like decipher like Tamil songs, iconic Tamil songs right from the 90s and then bringing them back chopping it up into into a hip hop beat or any other genre right so i would say that's like the typical process of like yanta production but sometimes no if it if i feel like i want a fast drum beat i'll start with the drum loop and then i'll add the melodies on top as well yeah cuz i was going to ask as well obviously i wouldn't I'm, I'm by no means a producer but i've like dabbled in various in producing softwares and i know you can obviously record live but you can also do um, midi tracks right yeah. so i was wondering like which do you prefer do you prefer um to like get live music and then you cut cut that up and move it around and then make a track out of that or do you prefer to sit at the computer and just do it um all digitally 
I mean, now I'm, I'm kind of used to use doing a lot more productions digitally with MIDI. So I love that uh, that process for me. Um, but I would definitely like to explore more live instrumentation. I mean, like a lot of loops that I have are like live drums that I'll just chop up. But I eventually want to release my own packs because I'm a drummer as well. So I want to, you know, have a whole bank of like my own drum samples and sample myself. But uh, I think with hip hop, especially a lot of it is MIDI driven with the drums, the 808s. And for me, uh, when I'm working with artists, especially, I want it to be easy, fast and effective. So definitely MIDI is like up there for me. Yeah, sure. Uh, sampling yourself, like you said, that's I've never really thought about that before. That's like very like Inception style. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that would be cool, actually. So, thinking about your most recent release, um, the Scarborough um, tapes, or is it the Scarborough tape? The Scarborough beat tape. The Scarborough beat tape. Yeah. So, see, when I first saw the title of that, I was like. Has he been on a trip to the UK and been to Scarborough or something? And then I actually looked into it and I realized, oh, Scarborough is actually a place in Canada as well. So do oh, I... there's a place called Scarborough in the UK. I didn't even know that. Yeah, like, um, have you heard of um, Simon and Garfunkel? The... No, I haven't. Yeah, there's a really famous song by them called um, Have You Been to Scarborough Fair? Um, yeah, it's a seaside town. So that's that's what I know Scarborough to be, um, but, but then obviously for you it's a totally different meaning. So do you want to just yeah. tell me a bit about? I presume that's where you've grown up, etc. Yeah, I mean, like even right now we're having this uh, interview. This is my home studio out here in Scarborough. So I was born and raised in this town. It's it's in Toronto. Um, it's a town filled with a lot of different cultures, especially Tamil culture, and that was one of the things that I was really fond of growing up. Um, I don't think you'll find any other place outside of Sri Lanka and India where you, you'll see such a tight-knit Tamil community and a lot of Tamil culture like in the community, right? Like I can walk down the street right now and go to a Tamil store, food store and get Tamil food. Like it's just there. Yeah. Um, and last year before COVID, I went on an India tour accompanying Sean Vincent DePaul. Um, and after that trip, I released something called the India Beat Team. And that was more of an experiment because I knew people always liked my productions. I knew that was my biggest strength, but I never actually put out a tape like that, just music on Spotify and pushed it out. And I pushed it out and organically, like it started doing really well. Like I just hit 200,000 streams all organically. I didn't put any money behind it. It was more just word of mouth pushing uh, lightly on social media. So when I saw that, I'm like, hmm, okay, maybe, you know, there's something to this. Let me keep exploring this. And then with COVID, I wasn't able to travel, obviously, to any other countries. The goal was after India, I was going to travel to other countries like Malaysia, Singapore, and I would take in all the inspiration and release it in the form of a beat tape. And then I'm like, hmm, like I'm making beats every day at home. You know, Scarborough is what raised me. There's so much memories and experience I've had here. Why don't I take those memories and experiences and put it in this, in this tape and do like a love letter to the city that I love? And then, uh, yeah, man, my team and I, um, shout out Mike and TJ, we conceptualized this whole project and we put it out and it's been doing amazing, man. I, I can't thank everyone enough for like uh, listening and really taking in this, this project. For sure. So what elements from your time, obviously, also, can I just ask, so you're, the way you say it is in Scarborough, is that correct? Scarborough. Scarborough. 
that's really interesting because we say Scarborough. That's very interesting. Borough. But you say borough. Like borough. Oh yeah. So yeah, it is. It's supposed to be Scarborough. It's a borough, right? Scarborough. But we all just Scarborough. Yeah, Scarborough. Yeah. Whereas we say Scarborough. It's interesting. Ah, interesting. Okay. But yeah, I'm presuming. Um, obviously, like you say, it's you've been sort of trapped. Well, I use trap. Trap sounds quite negative, but you've been stuck in your yeah. home area. Um, so. Obviously, like you said, there's a lot of Tamil culture around where you've grown up. Is that the reason, or is that the main source of influence throughout the tape, or is it, or are there other sorts of influences that have come into it? Um, that's definitely uh, a big one. Like, if you look at all the samples, Tamil samples I've used in the tape, those are all songs that you know I would have heard if I'm going to a Tamil store. I would have heard watching a movie growing up with my uh, my parents in our home in Scarborough. Or going on a car ride with my friends, blasting uh, Tamil hits, right? So a lot of influences do come from that. Um, but then there's also like we have a lot of um, like, for example, one of the title tracks was called uh, East Town, and East Town is like was like one of the staple banquet halls for, to have like Tamil parties, birthday parties, um, and it was like this. Kind of like scary looking place when you back then when you had to go down the stairs and you know it's like two different you know you never know what part you're gonna end up in. It's like those type of memories I want to really bring into and those type of feelings I want to bring this tape to. So I definitely tried exploring some different sounds that I'm not used to typically uh, putting. So you'll hear that if you listen to the India beat tape and the Scarborough beat tape, you'll hear the difference. Exactly, yeah. Because I, I was gonna say with the India beat tape. It definitely sounded a lot more because I think you could definitely hear the um, South Asian influences in both, but in the India beat tape, it was a lot more um, percussive. Whereas in the Scarborough um, beat tape, it was there was a lot more use, at least from my perspective, there was a lot more use of other production techniques and um, what's it called. Synth, synths and loops like you know you know yeah. i mean the, the stuff that you can kind of like do yourself like on the actual recording system yeah and uh, that was something that because for me it's like every project needs to elevate from the last trying to try something different that hasn't been tried in the last part because i want people to see the progression right okay where the last product is uh this one and in the india beat tape yeah yeah if you look if you listen to scarborough beat tape I use my voice as an instrument more in this tape. In the India beat tape, I didn't even use my vocals. But for me, it's so important that I shed light that I'm a singer. So that's why did, it was cool to hear some tracks like um, "Perfects." You'll hear my voice like lingering in the background on Milky Trail as like more as a hum, more as a vocal sound. So that was definitely something I'm like, okay, we need to put more of that. Obviously, you're in the midst of the um, Scarborough tape. Um, in terms of giving that out to the world and selling it, etc. Um, but after that, what have we got to expect from you? Have you got um, the next tape planned or any ideas? Or do you reckon you'll take a bit of time for inspiration? What are you thinking? Yeah, uh, so I mean, I'm always working on music, even while these projects are coming out. So you can expect a lot more. Uh, uh, you can expect some singles with the Cut the Boys. Um, that's with me and Sean. You know, that's still something that's important to me. 
And then uh, actually, um, I'm working on uh, a project with Sam out from the UK as well. Really? You know yeah. what? I was. I regret it now because I was going to ask you, like, oh, yeah, do you know any um, Tamil artists from the UK? And I was yeah. like, yeah, no, no, you, no, nah, probably not. Like, but no, that's <laughs> really cool. So, do you know him, um, Prit as well? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Prit, Sam, Sam, um, when he came to Canada uh, a few years back and then um, we made a few songs together and he was featured on my Sentimental Kids album too. And our first song happened like this that I put out. That that was one of my biggest releases uh, till this day as an independent artist. So after the success from that um, and seeing our natural chemistry as artists, I'm like, man, it would be dope for us to do a project together. So we actually have a full project that's that's done, completed. So you can expect something like that coming later on this year as well. No, yeah, I definitely look forward to that because obviously his part is an EP with um, Prit recently which has been really nice to listen to i think they have great chemistry so yeah i can't wait to see that um project coming from you guys as well so in terms of obviously you've got that collaboration coming up have you got any plans to maybe visit the uk at any point yeah i mean man once covid is done and i'm able to fly uh i want to go everywhere I think, you know, I'm sure you feel the same way in the sense of like, I've been cooped up for too long now. Yeah. Uh, and, and and I love getting inspiration from traveling to different places. I think a lot of people do. So UK is definitely there. I definitely want to do like uh, a full on tour out there. You know, UK, Malaysia, Singapore, uh, back to India. I definitely see growing markets in all those areas that I want to come out and perform, man, for sure. Sure, yeah. Well, if you're ever up in Manchester, you know where to find us. I'll literally just give us a bell and be great to like see you in person or get definitely. you in the studio, that sort of thing. Definitely, man. Definitely. I'll definitely hit you up. Cheers. So just for the people out there, if they perhaps haven't heard your music yet or want to see what you're about, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on Spotify, Apple Music. Just search up Janssen, Y-A-N-C-H-A-N. See my catalogue there. I'm also on YouTube. Um, and then on social media, Instagram and TikTok, you just put Janssen Produced, Y-E-N-C-H-A-N, Produced. Sweet. Yes, that was Janssen, whose new beat tape, the Scarborough beat tape, is out now to listen to for anyone that wants to go and check that out. Obviously, you've heard the whole thing there. So definitely go and check that up on Spotify, Apple Music, whatever it is that you use. If you're just tuning in, welcome. My name's Gerns and I am now joined by both Simran and Halima. What's up, guys? Hey, guys. It's too hot, man. It's too hot. Oh. Yeah, it is too hot. And especially after coming up those four flights of stairs as well, like I can't just eighty steps, guys. <laughs> oh god. Oh, did you do D O V? Yeah, I did I did gold. Wow. Yeah. What? Really fun. For some reason I can't imagine you camping. Go on, bear grills. But I actually found it a lot of fun because I did it with like my like um best friends in sixth form. So Fair. just messing around the whole time. For talking to sheep and that, literally. For where did you do it? Where do you go? Um, so we did two. We did the practice expedition in uh, Peak District, which is like around the corner from here. And then we <gasps> nice. Did, we did our qualifying in Snowdonia, 
So like we did five days of like constant hiking and camping, and then on the last day they made us cl- climb Mount Snowden. Uh, I've done that. Sorry. <sighs> Tell you what though, I you know when you hear like climb a mountain, you think it's actually going to be like full on like rock climbing, but it's not. It's just walking up a really steep like hill. steep hill for yeah. like two hours or whatever, like three hours. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's but that nice, was on the though. back end of five days of hiking though. So like. On its own, it wouldn't have been that bad, but because you're knackered anyway, like you've been sleeping on the floor for five nights, mm. and then you got to come to them. Yeah, I can yeah, imagine. I did, um, I did bronze DV and I hated it. That was only one night, and I couldn't even hack that. I think I do honestly think it's because I was like with my best friends at the time. Like they just made it so much fun, and you know, like you have to have um, you have to have like uh, a a goal. You know, I don't, I don't know for the bronze one, but you know for the gold, I don't, did you do the gold one, Carla? I didn't do any, do you? Oh, okay, well, on the gold one, you need to have, like, a mission. And mm. basically, like, some people will be, like, to observe trees or to observe, to look for the behavioural patterns of a certain animal. Ours was to, like, document the musical journey of our, like, trip. So we basically made a music video. For five that, that, days, that's what we did. Yeah. We hiked and made a music video. To be fair, like, w- when you were saying, like, the whole music thing, I was like, this is going to be really, like, weird. But, like, music video. Like, yeah, like, it was, just, yeah. it was just, like, a really jokes. Like, it was really fun. That is sick. Our one, our one was um tracking each other's moods. So we were just, like, vlogging the whole time, t- talking oh, to the camera and complaining. That's cute. Yeah, it was actually good. And then, obviously, we have all this footage at the end of us just, like, complaining. That's what it is. I still have like a folder on my phone of like 300 like videos and photos from my trip. Just a good time, man. Good time. Fair enough. I always thought it was going to be a bit boring, but sounds like I missed out now. It depends on who you go with. It is funny because I was with my mates as well. It is jokes doing it. But now I also have a crippling fear of horses because we got chased by a horse. (laughs) (laughs) It depends who you go with, to be honest. Yeah, fair. Well, that's a ni- nice little DOV tangent that we've had there. <laughs> um, not relatable for me, but hey-ho. Um, so moving on to the next um, topic that I wanted to discuss today. Um, first of all, are any of you guys cricket bands? Uh, no. I mean, like, I try no. to be. I try to be because it's the only sport that Bangladesh are actually, like, world-renowned for, but... Mm. I... Yeah. What about you, Simran? No. no, I couldn't even tell you like a single rule of the game or anything. I think we're really bad brown people, guys. Like, sorry, no, got... I'm, I'm alright playing it. I've played it. I'm actually alright. Like just hitting the ball. That's it. No, but we've got like three people here of South Asian descent, no, and not, not one, one of us is cricket. Sorry, like... I can tell you about hockey. I can't tell you about anything. Sorry, yeah. I used to um when I was like a kid, I used to play on the boys' hockey team for Slough. Were you that good? I don't know if it was because I was good or if it was because there was no girls team. (laughs) And they just like chucked me on. Either way. But yes, thinking about cricket, um, I'm sure you guys have seen. Is it the cricket tournament? (laughs) No, no, I don't know what cricket tournament. I know, I know that England played New Zealand. Nah, like not not anything to do with actual cricket, but to do with the players. So. I think Ollie Robinson is his name. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen, but he was a bowler for the England cricket team and he has been suspended following pending investigation. Oh, this is the one where Boris Johnson waded in. Dusty lips to talk about. Oh, yeah. yeah. So for anyone that doesn't know, 
basically what happened. I think England are playing in some kind of cricket tournament currently, like you yeah. said, Alima. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the specifics of it are, but yeah, Ollie Robinson, I think his name is, is a bowler or was a bowler for the England team, and he was. Has been, like I said, he's been suspended pending investigation following a number of tweets from 2012 to 2014, around then, have resurfaced um, that have been said to be racist and or sexist. So looking at the few of these t- tweets now, for example, he's got one that said, real N-words, don't let the microwave hit 0.00. Oh um, my God. Yeah, Um you're lucky she don't sleep around. Oh wait, hashtag gutted. Um, my new Muslim friend is the bomb. Hashtag way. Um, not gonna lie, a lot of girls need to learn the art of class. Hashtag get some. And then, I wonder if Asian people put smileys like this and these these like the like slit like yeah like hashtag hashtag racist after it (laughs) so you can't even say like yeah i didn't mean it like hashtag racist after it so yeah these tweets are all from him and these those ones i've just there there are more by the way but those ones i've just read out from 2012 but he's been um suspended pending investigation wasn't able to play for england um and i think various members either of the England team or the management or previous um, England players have said like yeah it's a good decision he needs to go and get educated he needs to learn like whatever but then like Kalima said um, Boris Johnson our beloved Prime Minister decided to wade in um, unprovoked um, and say I think it was the sports minister I think or the culture minister Oliver Downden I think his name is he said um, yeah, I think they've overreacted, the ECB, the English Cricket Board. Um, I think they should rethink their decision. And Boris Johnson waited in and said, yeah, I agree with that. I said, who asked you? The same like... man that could have fixed his lips to talk on BLM mm. is now sticking up for a racist cricketer of King. Yeah. I'm not surprised that he's actually surprised. So... No, no, not at all. I mean, that, that's a whole different thing in itself is like, what was the need? Like, what was the reason? Like, yeah. what was there? <laughs> yeah. But like, no one asked him. I don't understand. Like, like you said, there are so many more worthwhile causes or times where yeah. he should have said something. Yet the time he's going to wade in and say something is when, yeah, when and you've got like. It's telling though, isn't it? It is very telling. But everyone, we we've been new. Like you know, you know what I mean. Like yeah. it's not. It's telling for the people who have maybe been a bit ostrich with the, like the head in the sand, but like. <laughs> Which is like most of this country. Yeah, to be true, but. And they still won't connect the dots. No, I don't know if they ever will. But the main thing that I wanted to ask in regards to this is, what do you guys think about? So first of all, do you guys think the right? Do you, do you obviously it goes without saying that us three um don't really have what we say doesn't really have any meaning like this is just our opinion we're not the prime minister the yes this is a platform but this this is literally a platform for debate and discussion so do you guys think that was the right decision by the ecb to suspend impending investigation how how old is he so he is now 27 when he made the tweets he was 18 19 yeah so 
he was young but he wasn't that young he definitely yeah. knew better i'm assuming at that age he must have been a promising cricketer like in academies or about to go pro or whatever so he had to think about his career at the time i understand it was a different political and social climate that we lived in 10 years ago where things like that were a lot more normalized and you know like it didn't really affect careers and stuff that much back then or it wasn't such a like life like a changing thing yeah. yeah 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 um so i mean it is hard because it kind of goes to everybody not just this one situation where like can you really you know ruin someone's career over something they said over 10 years ago but then when it's something of this nature Mm. you know do those attitudes really change or do you just know how to you know do pr a little bit better yeah that's the thing and it's so tacky because it's like i I feel like you know the the kind of cancel culture it is very toxic i'll be honest with you Mm. like i feel like in general the way that people jump on things that people have said 10 years ago when they were a kid and then the hold them to account in the future for it that that kind of cancel culture is uh, like just ridiculous it's it's, it's politics of destruction essentially that's what it is Mm. um because like simran was saying it was a completely different social political climate at the time a lot of things that obviously these things are inherently wrong racism is inherently wrong sexism is inherently wrong but they were normalized in society Mm -hmm. right like i think Mm -hmm. as a society we were less kind of politically aware and especially if you're young like it's it yeah i don't know i feel like especially if you're young you don't necessarily really understand the gravity of what you're saying at the time but i think what 1890 yeah that's is a the bit thing past the, <laughs> that i think young. that's a bit past the grace period you have, like you have to draw the line somewhere right i feel like 14, like i would have been like oh i guess you know like you just kind of blame on him being a kid yeah. and ignorant yeah 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 I think it's really like hashtag racist. Like, come so on! He, he, he was taking the mic. He was taking the mic. Like, he knew what he was doing was. That's what I mean. Like, it wasn't just like a a, a benign joke that you make. Like, because you see everyone else make it, you're very aware the content of what you're saying is mm. racist. But do you know what it is as well? Like, you say he's famous England cricketer. He's like, he's obviously known that he's going to be in the spotlight. Um, I don't know about you guys, but even me personally, I like to think that I'm not necessarily a problematic person. But in the light of cancel culture and everything like that, and obviously being on a public platform, etc., I even I've thought to like look back through my social media and like, yeah. th- and I've like removed, yeah. I've I've removed anything that I thought like, oh, I could potentially like that. Yeah, that's yeah, not yeah, that's yeah. not great. I like, mean, there are loads of things that as kids we don't understand that we used to say. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean, like that that in itself, I think that. Every, everyone did that like you can't hold an adult who has learned and is enlightened to account for what they did when they were a small child you yeah. know like when they were ignorant and whatever else um that and that's what i was talking about before when that kind of cancel culture is toxic and merciless and and it feeds into the politic of destruction because it's ultimately not it's inconsequential ultimately you know yeah it doesn't do anything yeah yeah exactly but the thing is that he's had time as well like I think. What has his response been? He he's quite said. Um, I'm really. Um, I think he said like I'm ashamed. Like I am not racist or sexist. Yeah. The thing the thing is, I know like a lot of people refer to the BLM um spike. I'm gonna say <laughs> spike because it was it was a spike in awareness that happened yeah. last summer as like mm-hmm. oh that changed everything. Mm-hmm. But the thing is like the same thing happened like around four years before and again. So like. 
but even if we do look at like 2020 as like a time where a lot of people actually had a bit of a think about just the fact that race exists and the fact that racism exists mm-hmm. he won't have been able to ignore that you're telling me the number of tweets that there were as well like i read out five um he there were like 10 at least made over the course of multiple years he you tell me he like he's i he's either entitled enough to like see all that and either not think oh wait i used to say stuff like that maybe i should like i'll even just apologize and say like oh yeah i used to do that but i recognize that now and i apologize either that or he's just completely ignorant to the fact that he like that that's wrong in the first place like yeah, so I, I think in his case, I think it is the right decision, in my opinion. And I don't understand, I don't understand, like, who Boris Johnson is to say that <laughs> people are that people are overreacting because at the end of the day, you're not, you're white. Your job, and bro, you're bro. white and you're male, so, <laughs> like, you, you're you not affected by either racism or yeah. sexism. So, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Go fix the economy or something, innit? Like, yeah. don't just, why, why are you getting involved? Yeah. I think that's what I think again like this is like not me saying this is fact by the way but when he got married I was a bit like hmm this seems like a very convenient distraction from the whole COVID stuff that's going on I was like hmm Mm. yeah because why would you choose to get married now like Mm -hmm. it doesn't make any sense Mm -hmm. but going back to what we were talking about before obviously we said a bit about how like cancel culture can be toxic so what do you think is the right way for people to go about it because I think about people say like um Stormzy, he's like tweeted homophobic stuff in the past and he's had to apologize. Maya yeah. Jama has um, tweeted colorist stuff in the past, she's had to apologize. Both of them, uh, it's weird how like they're my two examples, by the way, like, obviously because they're a couple, mm. but like both of them are like in good positions now and like they're still like revered, they're still recognized for being really good role models, mm-hmm. etc. So the how thing is about, it? The thing about cancel culture is that it actually doesn't exist. Like I can't, I can't tell you one public figure, one celebrity who has actually been cancelled for what they've said mm, or done for that matter. Or done, yeah, exactly, exactly. It, it's like mm. it's like outrage politics, isn't it? Like, Everyone bounces back. Even like look at like the Paul brothers at Logan and Jake Paul when they were doing really messed up stuff on YouTube and saying yeah. racist things or like. Yeah. Being openly um, sexist and stuff, and look at them now, multimillionaires. It's, it's spectacle, like the the whole the whole notion of holding to account, you know, the whole notion of like social media court and justice. It's all a spectacle. Like people mm. do it so as to say, like, oh, I've taken a moral stance and I'm better than you. It's some kind of like internal moral gratification mm-hmm. for the person. But then when it comes to actually following through and sticking by your principles very very few people actually do that yeah i think it's weird that like we hold different celebrities to different standards i feel like there's some celebrities where you just know they're like racist or sexist or Mm. have really like um you really believe it coming from them in (laughs) it yeah and everyone's okay look at like conor mcgregor everyone knows he's like racist but everyone's okay with it everyone still supports him you know ti did that really weird stuff with his daughter and the and stuff and like that's still fun. That's just a thing that we just accepted that happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. Chris Brown as well. He's been allowed to like just live his Rebrand life. Brand and yeah. like keep making music. And like... it's like he's done multiple. So not even Rihanna. He's done like multiple questionable things uh-huh, like since uh-huh, then. Uh-huh, it's still uh-huh. yeah. Men are just protected in general. You know, like men mm. really are protected. Um, yeah, I agree. 
But, like, I just find it weird how, like, we know these people are, like, racist or sexist, misogynistic, everything, and we just accept it. Like, we're just, like, no one really bats an eyelid to it just because, like, they're good at what they do. You know? Yeah, it is very, very uh, messed up. But I think, I think you know what, Carlos, to answer your question before, I think it's to do with how the person handles it. Like, there are instances where people... And then also, like, another thing as well, you know, like, the whole social media court of justice, like, some, like you know the idea of doxing? Do you guys know what doxing is? No. So doxing mm-hmm. is basically when you deliberately go and uncover things that people have said and done in the past, like, to, you know, like, these tweets that come up from 2012, it's because yeah. the person has been doxed, like... So you go looking for You go it. looking yeah, for them, okay. basically, so as to, like, um, demonise the person or whatever else. Um, and, and sometimes like with, with social media like it's an absolute pylon like I don't know if you guys know Nella Rose and like yeah. what happened with Nella Rose like there was an mm-hmm. incident with her like when she was 12 she was literally 12 and she tweeted I think some colorist so- stuff um, and people the way people were going in on her it was mm. mental and it's like that is ridiculous like that has got nothing to do with genuine justice and accountability yeah. that is just human being weirdos yeah, like that is just that human being after cool. she just lost her parents she lost well. her dad yeah. yeah she just lost her dad and then she got doxxed from some tweets that she wrote when she was yeah. 12 years old like that is actually you guys not having a life like go outside and touch some grass you know yeah. like get a life but so like and, and that's what i mean like sometimes the intention to, with, in which you know these tweets resurface is just bad mind it's just bad mind you know like it's not even like i said it's not even about justice and accountability it's just people not having a life so it, like i think that is something to also think about and consider when we are like holding people to account but generally i think it's the response of the person if they come forward and you can tell they're being genuine and sincere in their apology and yeah and you know whatever else but and sometimes like you can tell it's an apology for the sake of an apology. You know, like the yeah. notes notes apologies. Oh <laughs> god. That 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 comes a lot from like white women. I've seen a uh, lot of white women love to do notes apologies that the, are just not sincere. Like you know their publicists have written the YouTube videos are yeah, like crying. there's that one, crying. one in particular. I oh. don't know which one it is. It's, it's there's some loads, Yeah. Yeah. Like that stuff, I don't have no time for it, man. But no. But there are times that like, everyone deserves grace, you know. Everyone deserves grace at the end of the day. Yeah. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So closing thoughts on that is just obviously people need to be held accountable, but holding people accountable doesn't necessarily mean removing them from the planet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like every cancel cancel culture. Yeah. yeah. Like everyone's human at the end of the day, and if mm-hmm. they are, if they respond well to it, mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. I also think as well, like when we like cancel people, it's maybe a sign that the people in actual positions of power aren't doing enough in the first place. Because surely, if they are racist, sexist, or whatever, they should be facing the consequences of the law, yeah, which yeah, then yeah. not just exposes the fact that like the law is just messed up in so many different countries, and it just yeah. doesn't doesn't work. It needs to be rethought. Like, yeah. yeah. For the final like, half hour or so of the show today, um, I wanted to talk about something that I saw Halima actually comment on on Twitter. So I'm going to hand it over to her now to explain <laughs> what's going typical, on. Typical. Yeah. Um, it was just. It was basically. It was a news article about. Um, it was in like a uh the filming world news article about an actress. I can't remember who it was now. 
mm. um, that had been cast as Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, which in, in a film about that Hollywood is making about the aftermath of the Christchurch attacks. Mm. Um, for those of you who are confused at home right now, yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> so same. Uh, for anyone that like is whose brain needs refreshing in terms of the Christchurch attacks. Um, um, so in 2019, basically, um, Christchurch was, and it's a place in, in um, New Zealand, a gunman um, entered um, a mosque and murdered, massacred um, 51 um, Muslims in the mosque. Um, he had written a 10,000 word manifesto citing white supremacy as the reason for what he did, why he did what he did, basically. Um mm-hmm that was in 2019 so just two years ago yeah it was such a significant event because i remember we've we've touched on this before and i remember you saying how that was a turning point for you in terms of your own stance on this type of thing the hate crimes and what goes on islamophobia etc so i think it definitely speaking as a non-muslim um but i can still think it sent out a shockwave across the islamic community across the world i would say um so yeah it's quite it's it's a really sad thing um and first of all do we think that this movie needs to be made no no (laughs) let me even tell you something yeah like look as a muslim let me tell you something hollywood is obsessed with us like every time another film comes out about muslims Another show comes out about Muslims. Another documentary comes out about Muslims. I'm just like, why, why, literally, come like Mariah Carey. Mm. Why are you so obsessed with me? Like, leave us alone, bruv. Like, mm. like I was saying about them doctors before, go outside and touch some grass. Leave the Muslims alone. It's so weird. Like, they just, oh my god. Um, you know what it is as well. They probably think that what they're doing is representation. Uh, you know what <sighs> yeah like so Jacinda Arden yeah. like, she'd been she'd had she had been like um praised um you know given a lot of like commendation in the aftermath of the attack because of how she dealt with it I think like within 48 or 72 hours um she, they'd like the New Zealand government had banned semi-automatic weapons or, or something like that um and and like okay yeah that's great I mean those preventative measures should have been there anyway um and i i think the thing with new zealand is that a lot of people point to it much like canada a lot of people point to it as some kind of like liberal utopia you know like they're so great and the government is so liberal and people have so many rights and and standard of living is so great but like clearly not like white supremacy was rife enough for mm. a man to write a 10,000 word doc that's a dissertation man you just did a yeah. dissertation for free you could have at least gone to uni or got a degree out of it like this man wrote a 10,000 word like document citing white supremacy that is how rife it is um in 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 that country i mean globally but obviously specifically in new zealand as well um mm. so like that that so to commend the new zealand government um when 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 the white supremacy that it that the government is steeped in facilitated the attack in the first place it, again it's just bizarre secondly like you shouldn't be making a like hollywood just should just leave muslims alone period but if you are gonna do what fans do and make a film about us 
like, why is it about Jacinda Arden? Yeah. 51 Muslims died. 51 Muslims, let me even rephrase, were murdered. And you might are thinking, hmm, let's make a film about the white woman in this. You know, uh, you know what it is as well? It's that the wound is still very much fresh. 100%. Like, how, it's like, what, two years? Mm-hmm, what, mm-hmm. Why, why, what is the need? Like, this is... Mm-hmm. Certainly, it's insensitive. It's it, yeah, so insensitive. and it, it's an infa- infamous historical event. Yeah, but that wait for it to actually become history in in that sense, like before yeah. I touch right. it, I'd say at least like ten years if you mm-hmm. were going to do mm-hmm. something like that. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so raw still. It's just happened. It's literally mm-hmm. just happened. And like I, in general, I have a problem with, and I do feel uncomfortable with films about things like this that are based on real life things like you know the film bowling for columbine and the other one i forget the name but it's about the one that happened i want to say in like the netherlands or sweden or something and it was Uh, the school holiday camp on the island norway i think it was yeah norway um like because they're based on real events and they're recreating what happened in real life that must be so traumatic to be even closely associated to anyone that's been through that event in particular or something of that nature like even if it's been a decade or more do you know what i mean I, to me something, something doesn't sit right about it yeah and yeah. also sorry go on, Carlos. i was gonna say as well like if we think about double standards do we see people making movies about the um seven seven tube attack things exactly. do we see people making <clears throat> um documentaries yes but do we see people making dramas about yeah. what happened in um Nine eleven, I mean, and I'm then sure... focusing it on like Bush. Yeah, like I'm, I mean, I'm sure they're out there, maybe, but like you know what I mean. It's not like like people don't touch this stuff because they know if they touch it, people are gonna get offended, and they care because indecent. and they and they care and they rightfully so, but they only care because it's about white people. Yeah, the victims are white. Exactly. But when it comes to um these Islamic attacks, it's like you say two years afterwards, mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's what I mean. So when we when we talk about like Hollywood's obsession with like Muslims, um, you guys know what Orientalism is. Yeah. Yeah. So um. But for those who don't know, Orientalism is basically like um, it's coined by um, Edward Said, um, and he Orientalism, Orientalism the, the the short version is the study of the by the West of the people of like the East and and basically people in the global South, but in a way that fetishizes and otherizes those people, um, and that's exactly what it is. It's as though like the way Hollywood treats Muslim subjects in in its the reproduction of art and culture and media um they may it's like subject subject constitution right so they essentially um make those characters artifacts right they otherize they exoticize they fetishize um those characters and those people and the community at large and that is kind of really the sinister side of this you know obviously like on a surface level they just they just shouldn't um but actually when you look deeper into like the psychology of it um and the way that the west western media is treating it it, it, it's just really it's so very divisive it definitely creates a very them and us narrative yeah 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 I think and then you look at films like what's the other one like Zero Dark Thirty I want to say and it was about the hunt for Osama Bin Laden and then absolutely villainized Muslim people and um, people from Eastern cultures like it was disgusting and the way they portrayed like um, I want to say it was Afghanistan or the country itself that they actually shot it in like I was just like god this is just so 
inaccurate and you're just trying to push this narrative forward that you want to push to kind of especially because it was american obviously america are very mm-hmm. you know hell-bent on creating that narrative and they did it to tenfold you know i like it's it's even cute that you're even you're able to name these there are so many mm-hmm. that i can't even like name i can't even name like every single there are every single time i see it i'm just like oh my god again like when i tell you the disdain that i have because it's just constant mm-hmm. like i can't honestly like I, like non-muslims won't be as privy to it because like you just won't notice it in the same way but as like muslims who are listening right now you man will know like it honestly it's like every year there's another film a high ticket hollywood film or drama or series or whatever about the, the this role of muslims as terrorists yeah it's Bye. so lazy it's boring like hollywood like you got you guys just have no imagination mm. Like and it, unlike even if you're gonna look past the problematic nature of it, it ruins TV for you guys. <laughs> like yeah. literally, do you know you how many like shows stuff. and films that I just can't that, that that I just don't I refuse to watch because of how problematic it is. Even as soon as there's even if it's not even even if it's like a subsidiary storyline or a subsidiary character, as soon as I hear Muslim and and anything about uh, fundamentalism, uh, uh-uh, gone. That's it. You're in the mm. bin. You're boring. You're lazy. You're rubbish. Like. Uh. <sighs> Like, what can you even say at this point to be honest i know i'm just like it's so ridiculous it's so ridiculous like it's very tired it's a very tired theme to carry on pushing it at this point it's so tired like you 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 guys are actually begs like hollywood is actually so beggy dbi (laughs) trust me trust me so if we were able to control the world and mm. everyone in it mm. what would be the way to move past this like it, like because i don't want to just put out a blanket statement and say like oh people should just like black what's called blind casting and oh, like wait, just not sorry like... i want to say one more thing as well sorry yeah, sorry Carlos, to cut you off but um you know when 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 these like i said before these are high ticket hollywood hollywood films right massive industry um and and these are capitalist ventures that these films are to make capital um, who's the money going towards you know you're making it you're making a film about 51 victims or the 50 or or the the white savior in the 51 victims that's another thing as well that we didn't mention like essentially especially in this in this film when we talk about just in the arden and then the Christchurch attack the film is about white saviorism essentially it's about how Jacinda Arden came in and she like healed this community this is what I'm predicting because what other reason would they have to make a film about her in all of this right yeah um so so it's a film that champions white saviorism um but like who's that money going towards like you're using something deeply deeply traumatic and rupturing that happened to a specific community that that community will likely never and bearing in mind the Muslim community in New Zealand is tiny it's tiny like obviously it, it sent reverberations throughout the muslim ummah globally but specifically the muslims in new zealand for for decades to come like there's a rupture in that community now that will not be healed are mm. they are they are they getting paid reparations yeah are like, they... will they see any of the profits from yeah. the movie mm. probably not yeah i can wager not the whole Probably like, people who are listening to this and don't understand the concept of like white saviorism as well. Most of the time, they're solving quote unquote mess that white people created in the first yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. kind of like 
exactly exactly like exactly. well done but it's also that like, it's kind of like the least that you could do you like who created mean? white who create who created white supremacy oh. it ain't white saviorism you're just cleaning up your own mess bro Ugh. you don't praise a fish for swimming trust me trust me my favorite quote um, if if so, to answer your question, if I rule the world, bro, I'll just get them to leave us alone. Honestly, I'll just get them to leave us alone. I would just Muslim shows made by about Muslim characters by Muslim people. There was a show actually on Channel Four a few years ago. Um, oh, there was a show in Channel Four a few years ago. I don't know if you guys remember it or at the time. My my week as a Muslim woman. Oh yeah. Basically, yeah. what they did was they got a white woman to do oh. brown face they did they got this woman in brown face so basically posed her as a muslim woman um and then got her to live a week as a muslim like in a you know full hijabi burqa like um get, gave her like yellow t- st- stained teeth <laughs> put her in brown face so that this woman can see this woman can finally believe that islamophobia is real that racism is real and it's like oh these guys the acrobatics that they will do to deny racism is ridiculous all of that you gave a woman yellow stained teeth when you could have just listened to her in the first place you could have just taken her for her word mm. but instead you wanted to, to, her to sit five hours in makeup <laughs> you wanted to hire a makeup artist to make her look like a, a muslim woman when you could have just listened to what real muslim women were telling you and that's without going into the whole like yellow stained teeth figure like what that, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah have yeah. you seen like the royal family's teeth like that's not like <laughs> brown people aren't known for having bad teeth that's your own like makeup in your head like you know what i mean were you like... man even bathing before we came and taught you how hmm <laughs> hmm yeah stick with that one your queen stinks allegedly that's my Alle- that's allegedly just, that's, yeah that's allegedly <laughs> just my opinion <laughs> oh dear but now coming to the end of the show now in what's everyone's plans that they've got going on and gonna enjoy the sunshine or Yes. Yeah, it was nice today. I was driving today and I had like the windows down. I had like my summer playlist on. I was like, wow, vibey. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, Simran, congrats. Yeah, on. You're finished. Oh, I know. Simran, everyone, <laughs> Simran's finished uni. I mean, for now. <laughs> she's yeah, doing her master's. Yeah. Thank <laughs> she's you. Doing, she's doing her master's in, in a few months, but yeah. yeah it feels good, man. How's it, how does it feel? It feels good. In a way, though, like, because I'm unemployed at the moment. Obviously, I'm looking, I'm applying for jobs at the moment, like for July, August. Yeah. Um, but now I'm jobless and I've got nothing to do. You wake up in the morning with a full free day. I'm just like, oh. You feel a bit lost, in it? Yeah. Like, yeah I'm trying direct... to enjoy it. But at the same time, it is a little bit daunting because it's like, God, what do I do? Like, like, it's a little boring. I? Who am I at least impending deadlines and procrastination? <laughs> yeah. You know, like the guilt, like like being on TikTok, doesn't hit the same when you haven't yeah, got the guilt of needing to do work. It's so true. It's so true. When you're not using TikTok as a distraction, it's just not as fun. It's just not slap. The day you. before my exam finished, my screen time was twelve hours, guys. What? T- how much really, time were you spending revising then? If you're really, on, if you're on your phone for like twelve I wasn't, hours, I wasn't, I wasn't. That's the thing. It's alright. It's alright. Right. Like, guess how much my TikTok was? How much? Six. Oh my god. Yeah, but TikTok is addictive, though. It is addictive. Like, now we're back to normal. We went down to like three the other day. 
like at the moment today i'm on like two i'm like so far like it's it's, it's going well today oh, you're addicted addicted <laughs> but um during exams it was peak oh my god that screen time was no joke yeah, my now friends, that's normal my friends always used to joke that they know i've got a deadline when i'm tweeting a lot <laughs> like when i'm <laughs> tweeting and posting a lot that's when they know okay this this girl's supposed to be doing work right now Ugh. it's yeah it's honestly my phone is the biggest distraction it got to the point I, I was putting my phone in the bathroom and being like you can't even go and get it until this paragraph's done or like wow. you know, whatever at least you had the wits to do that and you know what it's done you did it man you sat that exam i'm sure um, you aced it it's all over it makes you think though like you think about like 20 30 years ago people that would have been our age then like what were they doing? Yeah, and what what do they get distracted by? Like the birds in the sky? Like you know I can't I mean? lie, like... yeah, I can't lie. I get distracted by like a blank wall. Yeah, like, I can't lie. I do, honest to God, I do. Like that's what I'm known for. I'm known for staring thing. at walls, you know. Like that's what people actually know. Like... Me as. Well, I don't even need phones. But Fair. yeah, it's all over. Proud of you. Proud of you. Um, Thank you. Thank enjoy, you. enjoy the sunshine. Enjoy the sunshine. I'm going yeah. out for dinner and drinks tonight. I'm going hiking tomorrow. Oh yeah, I swear. I always see you in the stream. You're always like wandering around like some like countryside or <laughs> some something. Hill. Like... <laughs> no, my family. Like, really? My family love again. hiking. My family love hiking, man. So we're going hiking again tomorrow. Um, just while the weather's good in it. Made the what most you got plans, Careless? Back here. <laughs> All day, every day. Solomon, give him a raise, yeah. man. Yeah, if anyone's seen <laughs> Solomon, he's currently MIA on this thing. Oh, is it? <laughs> Everyone's saying they come into the station and they're just like, wait, you haven't seen him for like weeks. Like These so. times, I bet you he's not even in the country. Ugh, who <laughs> knows? Who knows where Solomon is? But yeah, we'll probably round things off there. But thank you both for joining me today. And thank, thank you for everyone you. that's tuned in. It's been a very varied episode today. But hopefully you guys are enjoying it. Make sure to go and follow us. Um, across socials especially instagram mango masala radio and yeah if you're brown creative if you have music if you want to come on the show just reach out to us